Hey, you know what, Dennis? This right here, this rambling, boring conversation containing already made before observations, this could be a podcast. Huh, it's actually not a bad idea. Really? A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Well, that's it. We're anyone. Let's do a podcast from right here in the booth. Who's in? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Is it happening? Are we doing it now? Awesome. Welcome to another episode of the BRFCS podcast. Three parter for you this time round. In part one, we'll be talking to Andy Bays from BBC Radio Lancashire, and we'll also have a little chat with Rovers legend Colin Hendry. They'll be telling us all about a fantastic charity match that's due to take place next year. In part two, our illustrious panel, including Rich Sharp from the Lancashire Telegraph, will review the transfer window that's just completed. And in part three, we'll pick up once more with Rovers Analytics' Joe Harvey, and he'll be talking about possession, and we can learn just how important a factor that is in predicting Rovers' results. Plenty for you there, so let's start straight away by talking to Andy and Colin. So on this episode of the BRFCS.com podcast, I'm delighted to have um, two guests tonight, the first of which is a friend of the podcast, it's Andy Bays from Radio Lancashire. Andy, how are you this evening? I'm great, thanks Ian. Uh, I saw on your Twitter feed yesterday something which uh, piqued my interest, which was uh, regarding um, your good friend, well our good friend, I guess, Lenny John Rose as well. we're not in the habit of previewing a football match in advance, let alone six or seven months in advance, but for this we'll make an exception because it's such a good cause. There's something going on at Bamber Bridge next year. Would you like to tell us what we've got in store? Yes, yeah, Sunday the 16th of May at uh, Bamber Bridge. It's Lens 11, of which there will be a lot more than 11 of us, hopefully, uh, against Hollyoaks, um, who are a very competitive group of lads who, who play football and uh, Lens 11, the, the management team will be Tony Parks and uh, Steve Elliott, uh, two people who, who we know very well who um, sadly have dementia. Um, and um, the day will, will be to raise money for the Len John Rose Trust, the East Lancashire Hospice and Sporting Memories. So there are three causes close to the heart of, of, of me and so many others who are taking part in the day. And there's some wonderful, wonderful legends of football going to be taking part on the day, which I, I cannot wait. The, I've looked at the, uh, the I suppose it's the very tentative team sheet that, that you tweeted yesterday. Uh, the, the number six, what, what can you tell me about him? Well, I can tell you that he's a big defender who will be lining up alongside two other big defenders wearing four and five, Samba and Hendry. Um, I, I think both of them have got at least a foot on me. Um, so uh, th- there might well be some free kick routines where I can get on the shoulders of, of one or perhaps both. Literally standing on the shoulders of giants then, is that the idea? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, to, to be given the number six shirt, the, the Mickey taking I've had over the uh, last 24 hours saying, 
you, number six, centre half. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it will be fun. Uh, that that's a certain. When did you last play an eleven aside game, Andy? Oh dear. Um, oh, that long ago then. Clearly, <laughs> you know, that, one of the last games that I played was in a in a charity match, and uh, Ian Rush was on my team, and I played the ball down the channel for Rushy to run after, and I never did it again with a look on his face when I met, when a pass of mine made him run uh, so um, I, I I'm happily retired from playing most forms of football okay uh, but for any sort of charitable cause um, I'm more than happy to uh, uh, put a kit on and then uh, be in the bar with them all after that's very selfless of you. So alongside, you've got someone who's uh, going to be your bodyguard, as we sort of said. And it's my very, very special, uh, very great pleasure to welcome uh, Colin Hendry. How are you, Colin? Evening. I'm very well, Ian. Yes, good. And you, you're, you're looking forward to uh, playing alongside Mr. Bayes. I mean, another feather in your cap, obviously. I'm sure Andy will carry me along. Um <laughs> Between me and Chris, I mean, you can just see. It. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the permutation. I don't know if we're going to play three at the back. If we're playing three at the back, obviously Andy's going to control me and Big Chris Samba. It's, it's never in doubt that, that that's what's going to happen. Um, we'll be getting told, I would think, exactly what our uh, what our, what our orders are for that day for that game specifically. And I mean, I've played against I played against Holly Oaks a few times and. We've, we've three or four, maybe even five times I've played against them now um, in relation to Tony Cartwright, who's organised the, the team along with uh, Lenny and a few others. Uh-huh. But, it's you know, we're, we're looking forward to it. And it's pay. you asked Andy last time he played a game of football. I mean, I I can hardly remember the last time I played, but I do keep reasonably fit. But it's it's a different type of fitness, playing a game of footy in yeah. relation to yeah. riding a bike or running, running the streets, as they say. Well, I was, I was going to say, you're looking very lean and fit these days, Colin, but uh, there, there were some pictures on your social media a while ago you're turning out for, was it a pub side in Blackburn? Poppy May, yeah, it was um, Dad's Army. It was, it was it, 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 what happened was I got I got tweeted on, obviously, Twitter, and would you come and play for us? And it, the, the manager of the team, Daz Hartley, Darren, yeah. he consistently messaged me to say, come, come for a game, come for a game. And generally, I play in Lytham St Anne's, where I've been there for 20 years and over 35s on a Sunday afternoon. It's pretty competitive stuff, 20, 30 games a season. So I changed my allegiance from Lytham to Blackburn, played for Poppy May, uh, Dad's Army, and three or four times in the proper open Sunday league. And, you know, it took me back a bit, if I'm being <laughs> really honest. It wasn't something that I thought I could actually cope with, but I managed to, and... Um, Enjoy, enjoy myself and now and again I turn out. I've been asked again recently but because of the situation with COVID and everything else it's, yeah. it's just a bit it's a bit dicey at the moment it's just a bit bit of a chance to take at this moment in time I'd say yeah well I've got to confess I am I'm a little bit older than you not much but a little bit and I pulled a calf muscle tonight standing up from the very chair that I'm sat in <laughs> because I turned around too quickly and pushed off on my left leg and I felt this sharp pain so uh if you need somebody on the day to just stand there with some railjacks or some uh, some freezing spray, I'd be I'd be more than happy to fulfil that role. But I think uh, the thought of running around and actually sort of sweating is uh, is just a bit too much. Looking across the team sheet, then I can see that there are, there are other some um, some other Andy, some colleagues of yours as well as some former colleagues of Collins as well. Uh, there's, there's a Mister Liver number fourteen. Is he a, is he a regular footballer? Do you know? Uh, no, he's not. 
Um, Splendid. But uh, he, he he'll be he'll be standing there. Don't worry about that. Um, Pointing. There, there are some brilliant, brilliant lads coming. Um, if if you've seen Brett Ormrod play, Brett Brett is is still a really good footballer. Matt Janssen is um, down as the number ten for the day. Uh, Kevin Gallagher, who played goodness knows how many times with with Cole for Scotland and for Rovers. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this. And, and he's, his name has only been just announced recently. Bobby Mimsy is in goal. I mean, the, the lasting memory I've got of Colin and Mimsy is the playoffs against Derby when, when they went 2-0 down and Cole just giving Bobby one of those looks when Bobby was in no man's land and, and the second goal goes in. And, uh, and, and I just wonder whether he get the same again in that game. Well, to, to Bobby's eternal credit, there's... Um... A clip which I've retweeted from the BRFCS account tonight of uh, in the promotion year away at uh, at Millwall where Bobby has an absolute blinder uh, and he, he pulls off two or three absolutely cracking saves. So if he's anything like that kind of form, then I'm sure it will be uh, it will be something worth seeing. Uh, Colin, if we can just move away from uh, the, the Lenny John Rose match, we'll come back in a second. But of course, this year, 25 years and all that sort of good stuff, it's, it's such a shame, obviously, that with lockdown and COVID the celebrations and what we might have expected to happen have, have kind of had to be put on ice. How much do you mm. remember of that season and in particular, I guess, the, the, the final day at Anfield? On the final day at Anfield, it obviously sticks out in everybody's mind. You know, anybody that's old enough, 25 years ago, it's, it's incredible to think we're talking 25 years ago. But um, the day itself, was quite. it's quite easy to remember because it was such a difficult day. Um, you know, to go there and get beat and still win the league, you know. It wasn't the way we planned it, but you're gonna if, if for Blackburn we're gonna do it the hardest way. Of course. Um but we've got we've got to we've got to thank Buddha McCloskey at at West Ham for that on that day. I think he was the man that kept United at bay. Um but whilst you're playing in the game itself, for example, there wasn't a lot of help from the sidelines because obviously it was a packed packed out house. Um the Blackburn fans were just hoping that we don't, we don't. Well, we win the game, we win the league. We don't get beat. I think it was the next best thing, and you know, one up to go two one down with, I don't know, five, four, three, four minutes to go. It was, it was out of our hands. We don't really know what to do. Yeah. But then, of course, the news came across this, uh, from the sidelines, and uh, talking about Bobby Mims. Mimsy was there on the sidelines with Ray and and Kenny and uh, Tony Gale. Uh, and it was it was incredible that um, we managed to get over the line. How, d- how did you actually hear on the pitch? So Redknapp puts the ball well, in, and there's just yeah. that that sinking feeling in the fans. God knows what it was like to be like actually on the pitch. But how did the news get relayed? Yeah, well, we didn't really know what to do. To be fair, at that point, the only thing that's, that that was will never ever leave me is when Chris Sutton jumped on Alan Shearer to celebrate whilst the game is going on. Now, <laughs> a bit of a giveaway. Isn't it? If he'd got it, if he, I tell you what, if he'd got it wrong, my God, if he'd got that wrong, Sutty. But obviously, the word had come from the touchline from the dugout that yeah. uh, we'd won the league, and seeing that was enough for me because, uh, yeah, there was players celebrating, and, and Sutty did jump on Al as I remember it, and but the game's still going on, you know. And, and we're thinking if we get a goal back, anything can happen. We can we can still win the streak too if we get a goal back. We need to get that goal back. But without a time, more or less. Surreal. Crazy, surreal times. Incredible. 
incredible um, atmosphere and, and, you know, nothing we could do about it. We could we could do anything about it. The good thing is we, we went ahead, but we just couldn't sustain competing and, and keeping, keeping the lead. Yeah, I suppose that it was a bit of a double-edged sword that day, but in the end, with Liverpool actually beating us, it removed any of that um, question that would have come from Fergie, I'm sure, about them laying down arms on the day and just giving us the three points yeah, that we got was, the title. Yeah, it was pretty quiet after the game. I mean, leading up to leading up to the game, you know, I think it was prior to the Newcastle game that week. He said, or sorry, after the Newcastle game, Blackburn are still capable of a Devon Lock, and of course we all remember Devon Lock, the horse that fell at the final fence in the Grand National. So he tried. Fergie tried, but of course, and he didn't say much. I think he did congratulate us, but he couldn't say too much after uh, the game at Anfield or, the, or their retrospective game at West Ham because yeah. they didn't they didn't manage to beat West Ham sort of thing. So he couldn't really say so much. And of course, for a Liverpool fan, it was a no lose day. Um, Kenny Dalglish comes back to Anfield. If Blackburn win, they win the title. Prevents Black uh, Man United winning the title. If Liverpool beat Blackburn, well, we're Liverpool fans anyway. We're season tickled, whatever. We're there for the game. We want to see Liverpool win. So it was an old lose for a Liverpool fan on the day. Yeah, it was an fa- absolutely extraordinary day, as you say. Quite the roller coaster of emotions. But uh, 25 years, that's the really scary thing. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. That's a really, really scary thing. So just to wrap up, thanks, thanks both for your time, obviously. But uh, how do people get tickets for this then, Andy? Where do they go? We can tweet out a link, I guess. Yes, we will send you the link. Um, the, the best place to go is on Facebook, really, and, and put Lens 11 into the search engine on uh, on Facebook, and it will take you through to all the details. Um, that will take you through to a website where you can buy the tickets. I think that in advance, £5.50 for adults and £4 for children under sixes are free. Um, and you just need to take your email confirmation with you on the day. Yeah. Uh, tickets are available on the day, I believe, but... Um, I would encourage people to get them sooner rather than later because uh, just by uh, putting it on um, social media yesterday, I-, I know a lot of people weren't really aware of it uh, and now are. So yes. uh, they'll, they'll want to go. And we must say, Colin's mentioned him already. Tony Cartwright does an amazing job Incredible. Of, of raising money for fabulous charities and, and the work he's doing. Uh, to get this game on and to include Tony Parks, who we know isn't well, and Steve Elliott as well. Um, it, it's a mark of Tony, who is just a great guy, and we, we we're really grateful for him being around to sort all this out, because it, without him, it wouldn't happen. Yeah, there's a lot of um, behind-the-scenes happening on things like this, I guess, to get them off the ground, and thanks to Bamber Bridge, of course, as well, for, for hosting it. So for people that can't actually make the game but still would want to donate... Uh, I see that there's Lens Fightback Fund, which he, he's using to raise money uh, for motor neurone disease. So again, we'll tweet a link out to that. But if you uh, if you want to donate to the cause, but you can't actually make it on the day or for whatever reason, you just perhaps want to donate to the cause, it's no bad thing. Then then do so. I'm sure that the funds will go to a tremendous um, a tremendous purpose so it just remains to thank you both uh surprise guest mr henry as well that's very kind of you to to join us uh andy thanks once again thank obviously for for all thank your efforts you. and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll speak nearer the time as well but uh, as you say there's already been a tremendous amount of interest uh, raised and if you need someone to carry a bucket and sponge on the day then i'd, I'd be more than happy to volunteer <laughs> or, hey, or you, you could, could you could fill, 
you could fill your boots with a podcast with all these lads coming in. That will be terrific. Be very welcome to I, shall, I shall hold you to that, and in return, I'm sure brfcs.com can make a, a contribution to the fund. Thanks both, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure as always. All the best. I'm Matt Hall, and you might know me from such works as the audiobook of Matt Janssen's autobiography. But this is the BRFCS Podcast. So that was the transfer window that was. I think we saw a lot more activity than perhaps we expected, and so we thought it would be good to try and chew the cud and sort of reflect on what's happened and what that might mean for Rover's season. And I'm delighted to be joined tonight by an esteemed panel, including our good friend Rich Sharp from the um, Lancashire Telegraph, uh, stalwart of the pod, that's my standard introduction now, Linz is uh, is with us again. Uh, Mr. Delap, live from Hillsborough, but not from Sainsbury's, thankfully. And we have Louis G back with us again, uh, as himself, he's not in character this time, to discuss all things Rovers. So let's get straight into it then. And Rich, the European deadline has passed. When the European one finished, I think the general feeling was that Rovers have perhaps decided not to participate in this transfer window. How unexpected was it then over the last week of the domestic window? Um, I think the European passing one wasn't too much of a surprise with the way things were going. From conversations at the club, I think the goalkeeping situation was always going to be resolved with the overseas goalkeeper, uh, given the work that they'd done with that. Always thought the majority of the other positions would be through domestic signings, which obviously you got that extra 10 days to do. So Sturgiakis came out of absolutely nowhere. I'll, I'll admit to that. I had no idea about that one. And I think from the conversation since, I think it was just something that fell into the lap. It ticked a few boxes and was a very cheap option. Uh, having not done a great deal about him, I thought that might be it for the goalkeeper department. But I think it soon became clear that they were going to look for another. Always thought a left-back was coming in, a central midfielder as well. I'd always I'd always been told that was another one. So for me, the only the bonus ball was Harvey Elliott, really, and the, the extra added goalkeeper. I always did think they would bring in a left-back and a central midfielder once the European window had closed. So is Sturgiakis truly uh, a result of the European scouting network, or do you think there's agent activity involved there? Uh, well, I think they've done so much work when Raya left. I think the plan then was to always go down the overseas route. I think they saw value uh, in bringing goalkeepers in from overseas. But whenever you've not got one over the line, I think that's what made it difficult to try and get some deals deals done. I think they were just waiting for, for one to get done. So they've, they've done a lot of work around it. The way these things come about, there'll have been some conversations and some reason that he's come on the radar. And at the end of the day, he's a 21-year-old who's signed for nothing. Yeah. Who can only improve and can only bring extra value. So I think they saw it as a bit of a a shot to nothing with him, really, and we'll we'll see how he goes. A worthwhile punt, indeed. Harvey Elliott, as you say. But are are Rovers and and Liverpool now to like best buddies? It seems that since we played that friendly with them, that Klopp and Mowbray are... uh, well, that Mowbray's changed his style of play almost, like to try and mimic Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I, I did just to put on record, 
really nice guy. I mean, it's everyone thinks speaking to the press and speaking football is easy, but I've spoken to a lot of footballers who've not been able to handle the press like a 17-year-old lad was able to do um, this week. He, he was very impressive, uh, spoke really well. The stuff about playing like Liverpool and style of play is is a nice line, isn't it? Um, <laughs> how much how much is actually in it? I'm, I'm not too sure. But um, in January they tried for, for Curtis Jones, and I think once that came around this window, I think that was uh, obviously never going to happen because they wanted to keep him around. And I think the plan of Liverpool was, seems from everyone that I've spoke to was to keep Elliot around. Obviously with Harry Wilson going out, I know Shakiri stayed. And I think Rovers just put a pitch together that Liverpool thought worked for them and worked for him. The geography, the coaching staff, obviously. Um, Mowbray's worked with Ryan Kent uh, when he was at Coventry. They had him on loan from Liverpool. So mm-hmm. there, there's past history there. So, yeah. And I, I think that one just, just came together, really. Um, it was a surprise that it did come about, but I think it was a, a nice surprise, really. And... Um, the one that just he was probably the most exciting one for your Certainly. social media numbers and yeah, your chatter yeah. uh, and the word that gets around tied up a, a busy deadline day and a and a good window. I presume we're not paying for him the amounts of money that Cardiff City are paying for Harry Wilson. No, um, so I've obviously read a lot of stories about Liverpool and clauses that they put into into deals. Fines is probably the wrong word, but um, payments that you have to make if if you don't keep your end of the bargain. Knowing Tony Mowbray, that won't be happening at Rovers. They won't. He wouldn't allow for anything like that to be dictated to who plays in his team. Uh, and he pretty much said as much without saying that in yeah. uh, in today's press conference. So I don't like to talk about wages, but he's on he's on a good wage for a seventeen year old. Rovers will be paying paying their percentage, but I think. He's gone with the blessing of Liverpool and he's wanted to come and he had the decision of where to go and the, I think the fact he's picked over speaks volumes for uh, for the work they're doing behind the scenes. Well, it's good for him that he wants to he wants to fight for a place in a team and learn by playing, which I think they're, they're, you know, the temptation to perhaps just sit back and, and draw the wages and play the occasional League Cup tie and come on as an 80th minute sub, it's nice to see that he, uh, he wants to do all that. How's all this been funded then, Richard? Because we've got no money and we've had no gates since... February. The one thing that I think really threw me and everything, so everything was running to fairly kind of being what I'd been told behind the scenes. And then he did, nobody did the press after the Wickham game and just came out and it was like, and that's where Beasley mentioned Ryan Manning, which I was always told there was never going to be a, a seven figure signing, which is why initially I thought, hmm, wonder whether Kipre and then Kipre came on the scene about 900 grand. So I thought, well, there's, there's that there. But when, when he said no to Ryan Manning and he was like, we've got no money whatsoever, I'm not really keen on a on a left-back, we've got other areas of the pitch. And I'm sat there thinking, <laughs> "What? Where, where's this come from? Uh, and he literally did use the words, like, we, we have only money for two or three loans. But I guess at the end of the day, they spent 450 grand on Kaminsky. They spent a couple of hundred grand on Ainsley Pears. Ayala isn't on the money that he was at Middlesbrough, but he's, he's on a decent wage and he's got a three-year deal. Yeah. Um, so I need to remember that they've lost some decent earners off the books as well. So I think it's about in line with what I expected, to be honest. And just, yeah, like you say, the, the continued funding of of the owners. I know everyone saw the bit about the 
six million pound share issue, which everyone seems to make a massive deal of whenever, whenever every year the same thing that comes yes. around two or three times a season. Venkis are putting money into the club shocker, which I know I've read. It's not something you can overlook, but it is one of those things where it, it's needed to, to keep the club running. So certainly don't think there was anything that suddenly flicked a switch and it changed. I think these were the kind of deals that they were always expected to yeah. to look to. Mm. Well, it's, it's certainly, uh, I think, changed expectations, lifted the spirits. Let's go around our panel now and get some thoughts on those on the signings that we've made and, and, and how we feel about it. Lynn, can I come to you first of all then? How effective do you think the recruitment has been? What to, to what extent do you think it's plugged the gaps? Um, I think they've done the best with the limited resources that they've got, to be honest, and sort of stepping away from the practicalities of it. Wasn't it just lovely to have a day where we all enjoyed ourselves? Like, I got no work done. I don't know about anybody else, but I was just constantly on Twitter or checking what was happening. And like the ridiculous rumours that you hear and think, no, not a chance, were actually coming true because I saw Harvey Elliott floating around and thought, never. And then suddenly there he was holding on Trav's shirt, which was all a bit bizarre. But, you know, how very Rovers to announce Harvey Elliott holding Lewis Travis's shirt. I suppose the club shop isn't open yet, is it? So I don't know when they could get one printed. Don't get me started <laughs> on shirts again, Ian. We'll be here all day. Don't get me started. Um, I think they've done really well. And I think they, they announced it well. I thought the social media team were quite funny and quite engaging I think they've made the best of it since I actually pretended to do some research and watch some of the stuff that they've put out before I came on here and yeah I think it's just created a, a nice buzz and the two very obvious positions that we needed in a goalkeeper and a left back they've exceeded what I thought they would bring to be honest so yeah I'm fairly happy good stuff Mike what what have you heard about the uh, the signings that were brought in then, and what, what's your what's it done to your state of mind and expectations for this season? You're always positive, anyways. Yeah, tricky, really. You don't want to delve into my state of mind. That's an ugly little door to open, to be honest. And in terms of recruitment, it, obviously, it sounds almost a bit, you know, of a, of a cop out to say, but until we signed him, I had no idea what a Tom Tribal was. Um, so you know, we've got to look at it like I he could be amazing. He could be somewhere in the middle or something. So. It's genuinely hard to say with half of them. The one thing I've been particularly pleased with is it what this summer's demonstrated or this transfer window's demonstrated is there's a lot more going on behind the scenes at Rovers and I think a lot of fans give it credit for it. It's almost like we just run over to Middlesbrough and sign someone who's been released and then occasionally we just bring someone in and loan. Other than that, we just bundle out loads of excuses. What we've seen this time round, of course, is we've gone into Europe, picked up some good value signings, We'll come up to him later, but I think that uh, Kaminsky and goal looks absolutely smashing for the money that we've spent on him. And also as well, the fact that Mowbray's gone out there or the transfer team have gone out there and physically rung up Liverpool, which was a great little visual in my head, and pitched to, to bring a player in and they weren't that keen on loading him out in the first place. It shows how proactive the club's been in, in quite tricky times and proof will be in the pudding, but all the summer signings they've made, I've looked down the list and I can't really seeing an alarming signing which is quite strange for us as well yes it is it's a, a rare state of positivity what could possibly go wrong well we're playing Watford tomorrow so we'll <laughs> hold that thought Louis you're a student so of course you have nothing better to do all day than sort of go on transfer market and do loads of research and read back copies of 442 so I'm expecting you to give us the full autobiographical detail of all the seven players we brought in who caught your eye I'd say Douglas from Leeds especially but that is just because of, uh, like I said in the last, last podcast, my, one of my very good friends is a Leeds fan. 
and I remember I, he just asked me about. It. I went, is Douglas still the player he was at Wolves, and and when they when they got promoted, and is he still the player he was? You know, in this season he got promoted, and he was like, yeah, yeah, he's he's it's. Yeah, I think he's one of them at Leeds. He's a bit of a cult hero, but wasn't isn't good enough for the for the top flight. Quite quite annoyed that one of you know one of his favourite players has come towards. Barry Douglas, very, very sort of excited to see him. And Kaminsky, with the value, like he looks, he looks fantastic already. Again, with the money we've spent on him and, and Dolan, again, I, I was, I uh, was praising him last podcast as well. He looks fantastic so far for such a young lad. And who, who expected uh, Tyrese Dolan to, what's he played every single game, I think, so far this season, or maybe every single game but one? Who, who expected that from this young lad who's, you know, been released from Preston's academy? Yeah. Uh, who, who expected that? And I'm just, uh, I was quite disappointed. Not disappointed. My, my expectations weren't that high when the European deadline passed. I wasn't, I wasn't too disappointed. But I was thinking, I think we're lacking a few players here. I think, I think we're just a little bit short. If we, if you know, the talk in the past couple of seasons of, you know, oh, we need to get top six. We're going to be getting top six. We're looking to get top six. I thought we were a bit short. And then, then like like Lynn said, it was. Just, Having basically the day off scrolling through Twitter and looking at all these fantastic signings, well, what we hopefully uh, are going to be, uh, ho- hopefully going to be fantastic signings. So one of the challenges, I guess, is is how do you integrate all those players into the side? Rich, I don't know whether you've seen or, or heard um, Tony on Radio Lancashire earlier. He was basically structuring expectations amongst the fans by sort of saying things like, they, you know, well, they've got to watch all the videos and they've got to learn all the defensive drills and you're not going to throw them all in. It's just so typical of Tony Mowbray that he gets the fans all excited and then would refuse to play any of these players. Who, who do you think is, is likely to hit the ground running and how do you think he's going to accommodate? He spoke for that long this morning. I think he did eventually come round to the fact that we will see them the line that I used anyway was they'll probably, in an ideal world, that would be the scenario. But the way the squad is at the minute isn't an ideal world. So they're probably going to play sooner than the players and probably nobody would have expected. I'm very excited about Tom Tribal. I think he does things that nobody in the Blackburn Rovers squad currently can do. And I think if we're going to persist with 4-3-3, I think somebody playing that deepest lying role and be able to pick a pass because I think for all Johnson's qualities and Travis's qualities, they're not suited to that role. And I think from everything I've seen, read and heard about Tribal, I think he can play that play that position. Uh, I can see Elliot getting on at who they play in Watford. Uh, he's done that before. He threw Holtby on at Reading in the last 15 minutes. He did it with Casey Palmer at Ipswich on the opening day so I think they're the kind of players that he will throw in there I think somebody like Douglas might have to wait you know a bit longer I think Bell might get a bit longer in that position Tribal's only played six games in 2020 so might have to might have to wait a bit but I think Elliot will probably interchange with those forward players in the, in the wide areas and I think Ainsley Pears is just an upgrade on what they had as a as competition for, yeah. for Kaminsky really I'm seeing Tribal as cover for Travis a couple of Norwich City fans on my Twitter timeline, guys that I've followed, both said very spoke very highly of him. Sort of said when he when he in their promotion season he was instrumental. Um, he just got caught out a bit in the Premier League, and they, they replaced him. And he's he's struggled with injuries, as you say. 
Uh, echoing Louis's point, I think Barry Douglas is the one, again, a couple of lead supporting um, fans that I, I work with, both spoke very highly of him. One of them in particular said, you need the Wolverhampton Wanderers, Douglas, though, because the Leeds United version one kept getting injured. That was the biggest problem. Yeah. With, with any signing, in particular on loan, you're always going to get, like, there's always going to be a reason why they're coming to Blackburn Rovers, why Tom Tribal's available, why yeah. Barry Douglas is available. There's, there's always these reasons behind him that's... Uh, that Rogue was obviously going to have to iron out and just hope, like you said, they can get the, the best versions of all these players. Absolutely. Mike? I know not everyone's a big fan of all these little verbal sound bites in football, but I was really, really almost sort of touched, I would say, by the Leeds owner when yes. Douglas came to us. He actually penned him a bit of a, a letter basically saying, thanks for all your hard work and commitment. You've been a joy, a great example. And I think it warms my cockles a bit more because obviously, you know, five, ten years ago, there was a lot of questionable characters hanging around the club and seeing these ones come in who do get warm reviews and held up as examples uh, you know, of, of good good people, it, it helps the club as well because you want to see these people represent you. And I just thought it was a nice little moment that you don't see too often. Yeah, it was the director of football, wasn't it, that, that wrote any sort of... He called... The thing that stuck with me was uh, the influence in the dressing room. Uh, and I think that that's something that will definitely strike a chord with Mowbray. Graham Souness always used to talk about proper players and son-in-law material and all that sort of good stuff. And I think Mowbray's cut from the same class. He looks for the attitude and it's almost like he can train everything else as long as the attitude's right, which is why I'll also be particularly keen to see what happens with Elliot. Because you can imagine if the likes of Jurgen Klopp have had hold of him, that they will have a, a very clearly defined path that they want him to go down and they must trust Mowbray with, with such an asset. Given that we brought all those players in, are there any holes that needed to be plugged? Was there anything else that you were hoping that would happen that perhaps didn't? Did we miss out or have we covered all the holes? It comes back to budgets, really. It would have been lovely perhaps to have had slightly better people in positions, but we just don't have the money to to do that and at the end of this if there ever is an end of all of this I want a club to come back to and I'm really mindful that we rely so heavily on income from the gate or from merchandise or from whatever else we can chip in that they're not getting that actually I think they've been really really sensible um, in terms of what they've done and I think part of how it's got to be framed to the newbies and to the current squad is it matters now more than ever what you're playing for and who you're playing for because in all of this chaos there's a lot of people you see on our social media feeds all the time are relying on these lads when they go out on to the pitch I'm not particularly bothered if they win but to give their best and I yeah. think what he's looking, what Mowbray's looking to do is to bring in people who want to play for us and want to make that impact. So I'd actually take a possibly a lesser player, but with a better character who can be moulded than some idiot that's going to come in and we're going to hate and we're all going to end up falling out about it. And it just creates a drama in a world of drama. I like the attitudes that I've seen. And actually, I trust that Mobes will work with his team to make them better and to make them play our way. I think we've got a style now and we've got an attitude. We've got something to be proud of. And I'm quite protective of that, really. The old saying is recruit for attitude and then train for skills. I think I see a lot of that in, in Mowbray for sure. Uh, Louis, what, what do you think will be the impact on the existing squad players then? Who are you expecting to respond to the stimulus of these new players coming in? The, these lads already, 
seem such a tight knit group. Seem so like they seem, they just seem like good mates. Like it's you know it's we've we've all worked in these places where you know you, you work and you don't really get on with a lot of people and it's a bit of a bit of a bore. That seemed what it was like a few years ago and now you know obviously ironically since we went down since Mowbray came in since we sort of had that fantastic season in League One that everyone's everyone seems to be mates everyone seems to be getting along and it just seems like I think if anything it will hopefully help these players who are coming in to improve and if if I may speak on Elvin for a second but he seems like such a positive influence well he is such a positive influence on the team and on the club so hopefully it's again it's these young lads Harvey Ellick for example who like you say Klopp has obviously got a very he's got a path to out for him already that the, the you know the Elliot Bennett's of the of the club coming and put put his arm around the shoulder and go you know what mate this is this is how we do it here I feel like our the players we've got will have a better effect on the players coming in yeah. if you get what I mean obviously maybe with the the, the promotion winningness of of Douglas and Tribal maybe that'll be a, I hope well hopefully that'll be a positive influence but like I say the, the players at the squad already will hopefully have a, a fantastic effect on the players coming get them into that sort of Rovers, Rovers mentality as it were in that. It's, it's certainly good experience to have in the squad. I think people have won promotion before from this division. Mm. I don't think that, that does any harm whatsoever. I think it, that, that experience mm. in the dressing room is, is really, really vital. The two players that sort of spring to mind when you say about who's going to fear about losing the place are going to be um, Derek Williams and Amari Bell really, the ones that spring to me. Derek Williams, I think, actually was rather unlucky last year. I'm not saying Adara Bayo didn't end up being an upgrade on him because he was, but he was actually genuinely playing quite well at the start of last season until he got sort of usurped and a little injured as well. And there's very much the risk of that happening again now that Ayala and Lenahan are looking towards obviously forging a bit of a partnership. And you've already seen with Amari Bell at left-back as well. Obviously, Douglas has come in to compete with him and you would expect him in time to you know, sort of take over the role more permanently. But last few weeks, Bell's responded. I think, uh, you know, he's always been a bit of a divisive player and realistically, looking at him physically and what he's capable of, with a bit more confidence, there's no reason he actually couldn't have or can't be a Premier League left-back. Mm. It just seems to he just seems to not quite have it in the head of times and he does frustrate. But last couple of weeks, he's he's really responded. He's played quite well. It's going to be interesting to see when he, when he yeah, his place genuinely comes under threat I guess but he has been putting some form together rich when you when you're watching the squad and and you you're seeing you're seeing Mowbray in press conferences when new players come in to what extent does it excite the squad and make them think that there's more potential versus have them fearing for the place do you get a sense of what that means amongst the the players that you speak to we spoke to Joe Rothwell about something similar about you know the squad size because he's probably somebody who's been on the periphery of the side and I think probably a couple of weeks ago you always felt you were one injury away from you know getting getting into the side so whether now that changes where you think oh like I've, I've got to get through a, a, a couple but then on the other side there's the complacency thing of you know do you just drift through a season if you've if you've got nobody competing for your, for your place so it, there are interesting dynamics I think I think it does help everybody though to, to bring in fresh faces I think you could see the players will be lifted by uh, by those who've come in. As Mowbray was saying today about the training the last couple of days has just really gone up a notch because of these players that have come in. This is he's saying the players who are already at the squad want to show 
yeah. RV Elliott, tribal Douglas, how good a players they are. So yeah. you'd like to think from that point of view that it will it will push a few on to um, onto new levels. One one player that we haven't talked about yet that isn't a signing, but of course will be touted as being like a new signing. Where does Bradley Dack fit in, Rich? Uh, so I can't I can't <laughs> do this question. It really really gets to me. I like it's as if like with uh, this is me. You know, we, we were talking about what player um, have we probably not got. I think you'd say to everybody, would you bring back? You'd bring back Jordan Rhodes, who's going to guarantee you 20 goals. I think you look at this team now and you're desperately need. We talk, when I was last on, we talked about not bringing a forward in. Yeah, You need to share your 70 goals. You need probably 50 plus to come from Brereton, Armstrong, Gallagher, and back into that. If he comes back anything like the Bradley Dack that we've seen, he's not... <laughs> He's not one of those players that you need to build your round your side around because he's not a luxury player. As I, two guys, my favourite footballer ever. But you needed to make allowances for two guys that he could do certain things and needed to do other thing, other people to do things for him. Dak was pressing down and closing down long before it became yeah pressing. Like he, yeah. he did it all himself. So Dak will find a way into the team, and it'll just fit naturally from what from what they're trying to do. I looked at Corey Evans the other day. I'm a big Corey Evans fan. I don't think in a midfield three playing the wide left is getting the best out of Corey Evans. No. I think he'd have to play, play in a two um, and you mix things around. So the, the way the games are going to come, if Dak's got another month before he's back and then it's probably going to take him another couple of weeks to get back into this side. So see where, see where they are now. There might be players that are excelling. I think the wide positions are probably up for debate. Could they look to go three at the back and then you're changing it up again? So there's so many ways to, to get Dak in this team, but he's, he's got to be in the team because he's the most natural goal scorer at the club, is Bradley Dak. He gets, yeah. he gets in the team. I've not answered the question of where I put him in, but he, <laughs> it's, it's not to me, but he, get, he gets in the team. Oh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So bringing lone players in is something of a, of a double-edged sword. and It's a conversation that we've had on previous episodes of the podcast. I'm just interested to see what our panellists think about what impact is it going to have on the development of our own players. So, Mike, you've got some thoughts on this. What, what, what are, are the pros and cons of bringing lone players in? I'm, a, I'm actually quite a big fan as long as it's done in the right doses. In, in our financial position in particular... You know, it gives us access to a higher standard of player than we could realistically look to bring. And if we're paying for them outright, uh, we could use Tossin from last year as a classic example. You know, you don't want to loan three or four players at the same time, but having him available, I mean, you know, he costs what? Many, many millions of pounds that we don't have. So I actually quite like it. The downside to it, of course, is you've then perhaps got like a young lad like a Scott Wharton or a Tyler Maguire, or who then doesn't have a realistic shot, is then held down from that side. So it isn't great in there. But, you know, football is so here and now, got to have everything in the next 10 minutes. Otherwise, I'm chucking my toys out the pram. And with that in mind, if a good loan player comes up that's genuinely better than what you've got, bring them in because that's the only way you're going to get that instant result out of it. And I, I think there's a lot more for it than against it. Linz, we've talked about Tyrese Dolan earlier, and I think he's captured everyone's imagination. 
how concerned would you be that bringing in someone like Elliot is going to impact on his ability to start in that team? Uh, in no way concerned because I think, not that I know him, but I feel like he's got the right attitude. So uh, he's been great on the pitch and, you know, we can all see that. But, you know, the last couple of games, he's perhaps not set the world on fire as much as he had at the beginning of the season. But when I see him speak, when I see him to um, interact with fans on Twitter he just comes across as again coming back to that word attitude having the right attitude to get his head down work hard learn and actually for him he's way ahead of where he thought he was going to be um, you know he's a fan's favourite already there's kids running around Blackburn with his name on the back of his shirt we all love him so he can learn from Elliot or he can show Elliot something. And I guess that's a choice for him. I'd be much more concerned if I was Harry Chapman than I would be if I was Tyrese Dolan, to be honest. Louis, what do you think the future holds for Harry Chapman at Blackburn Rovers? Sadly, I think it's, I think it's coming to an end. I, I don't, he's, he's not been able to break into the first team as much as I think we'd all, we'd all wanted him to when he, you know, when he rejoined. I think the, the injuries he had uh, in that, season in League One and then the one he got I think on his first game back for Borough I think have really hindered his career I think he's really knocked his confidence can't see him breaking especially on the right side ahead of Dolan or Elliot Mowbray's really really putting a putting a bet on Brereton to shine through this year and I think I get a lot more goals if not a lot more chances at least I think that's what Douglas brings to, us, brings to the side it's quite surprising to see him on the bench on match days and when he comes on I don't get that feeling I did of when in League One, it was like, oh, bloody hell, Harry Chapman's coming on. Oh, yes, right, right, this is it. Now, it's a uh, sadly, uh, I've now, I've not, I've, there's no really love lost anymore for Harry Chapman. I don't think, I don't think his career lies at Blackburn Rovers. I think sadly it lies elsewhere. And obviously, I hope he, I hope he can sort of find some form and become the star man we all wanted him to be. But I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen, sadly. I think he's, I think he's off. Yeah, I can, I can see why you've got those concerns. Rich, do you think, Mowbray knows what his best team is. Or do you think he's still experimenting? What, what sense do you get about having shoe-ins into certain positions? I think having seen Tony Mowbray teams for what is it more than three and a half years, I don't think he's ever had a ever had a strongest team. I don't think he believes in strongest teams. I think he is very much pick on the opposition. That's probably one thing he got accused of in the League One season was thinking too much about the opposition and playing uh, playing around that. Um, I think the one thing that he's probably done a bit more this year is, you know, stick to four three three. I thought maybe at the weekend with the you know the players he got available, could we go with Johnson and Evans as a midfield to get Gallagher back in there? So you know, just get a bit, a bit few more different faces in there. So yeah, I think it worked, particularly with the games as well. I mean, there's seven games between the October and November international breaks you look at the schedule that's coming up I don't think we're going to see any team in the division name unchanged team after unchanged team and I think that's probably why these additions have really come in to really boost the squad out because I think there's probably looking at the championship it's going to be an open division it could come down to something as simple as who's going to be able to last the course with, with the players. I mean, you think that Rose have got a strong squad, but then you look at the weekend, Brennan was drafted in on the bench, uh, Brad Lyons was next man in. So um, that just shows shows where they were at, to be honest. Uh, but then you fast forward to what tomorrow and you could have seven of those players that were missing straight back in and you're looking and thinking, oh, well, things are suddenly looking, looking better um, and it's just going to be 
I wrote the piece the other day, just judging the balancing the expectation of what the new side signings have brought against that bit of patience to to wait for it to all come together. Yeah, maybe not having fans in in that instance is uh, is a good thing. I don't know. It's it, yeah, it's well, been a fas- fascinating dynamic that one. I'd have liked to have seen whether they would have got booed off at half time on Saturday, or whether it had just been one of those, you know, <laughs> categorically um, afraid. Ju- it, yeah, or whether it had just been one of them, you know, and it's just like not dreadful, and that they've like let the opposition run right. You know, it's just a bit like, yeah, everybody's just happy to happy to get it over and done with, and just hope for uh, hope for better in the yeah. uh, in the second half. There's a I mentioned it on the last podcast, but there's a terrific Twitter account called Footy Archives, which is uh, it's, it's a guy who used to live in Blackburn who started tweeting the season ninety one ninety two. Now he's up to, uh, and of course, there's, you know, Don Mackay starts out. There's money available to spend. He brings in new players. It doesn't quite gel. We get off to a bad start. The fans get on his back. He gets booted out. Tony Parks throws in four or five youngsters. Starts getting the results. I mean, you sort of thinking, hello. <laughs> Some, I don't know whether Pep Guardiola fancies chucking his lot in at City then and coming to us uh, next month and leading us to, to playoff glory back in May. But uh, it, it, I always think it's interesting to look back. This sort of said, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But look, looking back at poor starts that we've had of seasons that you do remember as being good, uh, and I can go back to the Howard Kendall one as well, where we had a dreadful run before Christmas. And in modern football, there's no way he would have he would have lasted the course. Um, but we, we eventually won promotion and almost won back to back promotion. So, on that note, then, what has all this activity done for our preseason uh, expectations? Mike, you weren't actually uh, available for the uh, for the prediction podcast, so this is your opportunity to stake a claim. Where are we going to finish? Reflecting these transfers that we've made in the window? Just first, really. You know, that's, uh, you know I'm joking. Um, it's, uh, I'd sort of said last year 12th, and, and funnily enough, I was going to say the same this time, but I'd say in light of what we saw on Friday, it's perhaps just raised expectations a little bit. From there, I'd, I'd maybe stick my flag in something like ninth now, that yeah. sort of thing. I, 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 think, I think we're still going to struggle in games like the ones we've seen the last two home games where, you know, we don't have a lot of variety to the attacking play. Maybe Harvey Elliott can help out with that, but there's still little bits where we're just a bit reliant on Armstrong's pace over the top and then just randomly chucking balls into the box and hoping a midget on the other end nods it in or Brereton's still standing upright. The one thing that also has helped in terms of raising expectations, I'm really, really enthused by how the defence is looking since it's sort of come together a little bit and, I've specifically requested this little slot about Thomas Kaminsky. I expect some background music to be put in in the post edit as well. But you know, our tune theme. Yeah, and and it could all fall flat. Rich, I can see staring with both his eyeballs at me, saying, "Don't you dare jinx this!" Got the makings of an absolutely smashing goalkeeper, and for whatever we've paid for him, he looks an absolute class act. Confidence, you know, just radiates it. And uh, I'll, I'm ready for my Twitter account tomorrow when he bundles one over our line in the. Eight I just say, my, my phone's uh, ringing here. It, it, it's fate that they want to speak to you. Yeah. <laughs> Something about yeah, being well, tempted. This, this is it. And you know, I'm a known jinxer as well, so I'll take it. Give me what you got tomorrow. It's fine, but you know. I'd... So you're saying nine to tenth? Is, is that what I got from you there? I've got first nine or twelve. So any of those things count. Okay. I'll play right, them all. Okay. Yeah. Louis, do you want to upgrade your prediction? I do, ever so slightly though, because I think I think I said uh, like between sort of seventh and tenth, 
However, not just like slightly missing out, not just like, oh God, heartbreak on the final day. I think I was like, oh no, our spirits will have been crushed. The season a is, long is time over before, before we get to the last weekend. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm again, I'm, I'm a sucker for a, a romantic football story as long as it involves Blackburn Rose and nobody else. I think we've got to, so we've got to push for that top six. I, I don't think we'll make it. I, again, I th- but I think we'll fall slightly short of it. Yeah, but it's it, it, you know it's, this is the this is the best time in since, since we've gone down essentially yeah. uh, since we've been relegated from Premier League. That is, Linz, are you upgrading exactly. your expectations? No, I'm sticking with sixth. Sixth, so in the playoffs. Yeah, Rich, are you prepared to nail your colours to the mast, or are you staying out of this debate, hovering above it? Uh, no, I'm currently staring at the league table. And I'm thinking, out is the six better teams in the division? This is a big if, but if we get Bradley Dak that we've come to know and love, I think they'll finish in the top six. And I think there'd be no better time to go up and get the Premier League money than this season. And I think there's probably going to be a realisation with everybody that this is a really open division. I think the three that have come down, I know tempting fate that, Watford could put four or five past tomorrow and I know they've kept hold of quite I think yeah, that was a thing yeah, for the yeah. teams that have yeah. the teams that have come down have probably not really strength and they've just managed to keep hold of players yeah. like Sara but how, how bothered are they going to be and with January's not that far away um, so yeah I, I think top six I think and with the squad that they've got I think for the players a bit like Preston have seen where you know they're getting players into the final years of their contracts and they're probably thinking a bit about the futures. I think for the squad that Rose have got, they really need to be looking towards that top six. And I asked the manager this morning and he said, as a football coach, you'd rather have expectation than not. I'd rather be a favourite than someone who has to punch you above the weight. But I know uh, that's what it's about. I know it works and that's what life is. And he's basically suggesting that he's been the one that's been trying to create the expectation. So I think he knows that he's going to get judged against that. Well, yeah, he will whether he wants it or not. Yeah, and it feels like everything's built towards this this season and this point that we're now at where you need to expect. And I think for a manager to have been in post for as long as he has suggests that everybody's been happy with the way things are going. And you've had two seasons back in the Championship from League One, the first one where you've consolidated, the next one where you've pushed. The natural progression has to be to not just be in contention, but to, to get into that top six. And I think with the squad that they've put together, I think it looks like a top six challenge for the season. Mm. Well, but I think I, I somewhat t- tongue-in-cheek tongue in did a sort of like a that Blackburn Rovers checklist. I think it was before the Fleetwood Town friendly. And at that point, we didn't have a goalkeeper on the books, centre-backs had gone, left-backs. We didn't have a kit, we didn't have a sponsor. Uh, there were no season ticket details and the whole thing just looked utterly shambolic. And I think the, the mood in the camp at that point was this club is just slowly but surely uh, going down the pan here if we're not careful. But I, uh, in, in, out of a sense of duty, as much as anything else, I revisited that list at the weekend and we ticked everything off except the like-for-like replacement of Danny Graham. And I suppose you could argue, well, we bought Gallagher and Brereton to play up front, so we, we bought the replacement yeah. before we lost Danny Graham. So we put ticks against everything. I didn't expect three goalkeepers, I have to say. If we can work out a way of playing three in one game, then that should be good for the goals conceded column. But... Uh, as as we've, we've all said during the evening, it looks like there's good raw material there, but we've got to see whether it can gel. I don't know a great deal about tribal, don't know a great deal 
about Douglas other than reputationally. Uh, similarly with Ayala, but I've been very impressed with him. And, and echoing Mark's point, I think Kaminsky has settled in very well. Elliot, yes, I've seen him play for Liverpool on TV. Um, it, it's, he's clearly one of those maverick youngsters that you hear so much about. It could go one way or the other, but he, you know, he's only on loan. It's really exciting, though. I have to say, <laughs> echoing what you said earlier, Louis, you know, we, we, there's no obvious weakness uh, uh, unless you know, 17 players all go down with COVID and uh, we, you know, we lose eight games on the bounce and then that's it kind of thing. But we're setting this up for a hammering tomorrow at Watford, aren't we? We're absolutely setting this up. But yeah, it's a 46-game season, so we shall see. Um, before we brought all those players in, I was really quite gloomy and I, and I saw us going backwards now. I think we've got to be aiming. We've got to be aiming for the playoffs. I think there are at least four or five teams better than us. I think the three that came down, Brentford, I think will prove to be um, quite tr- tricky opponents. Um, dare I say it? I think Preston will probably have a decent season because I think they've got quite a settled side. It'd be nice to beat them in a derby as well. That's that's been long overdue. So. On that basis, um, if it all comes good, that's great. We're either booking um, slots in front of the TV or slots in hotels, depending on what happens in May for the playoffs, perhaps. But if they don't, when, when are we going to see the first Mowbray out hashtag? How much patience do we think the Rovers fans have got, Mike? Oh, I've got a lifetime's worth, mate. But, um, you know, uh, I, I think realistically, and I'm more or less echoing what other people are saying, but... You know, this is the season really where it's got to realistically look like, uh, you know, we're going to make the playoffs because I think we've had a few years, a couple of years back in the championship now. We're like, right, we've settled, established. We've added good players. It's got to come together at some point. And, um, you know, we've had a, I would say realistically, if it's not looking like it's going to happen around December, January time, it's probably going to be about the cutoff point. I know that sounds a bit harsh almost to a certain extent, but you can't have that squad that we have together now. You look at it and think, well, you know, other fans are looking at our squad and the business we did at the end of the transfer window and thinking, wow, that's actually quite impressive. And it needs to translate into some results and fairly quickly. So I'd say if we hit January time and it's not looking likely, I can't see how the owners can turn around and, and, and say, yeah, we'll keep backing in with things because Gotta, it's got to come together at some point. And it's yeah. A slow burn is a slow burn, but when you've, you've plugged all the gaps... Yeah then it's, it's not yeah, unreasonable to mean, expect things to happen. I think there's some like legitimate criticism in terms of it worries me. I still don't think he knows what his best 11 is. And I appreciate maybe that's not the type of manager he is, but I think we need to have that confidence in who we pick and that we can take on a team rather than worrying about who they are playing. I think he has to live and die by the fact he's paid 5 million for Galley and 7 million all in for Bereton, you know, I get it isn't seven mil, but that seven mil will follow him for the rest of his life now. Um, So I think he isn't without criticism, but we know that people will go off the deep end because we seem to think we've got a God-given right to win every game 5-0. But I think that's half the fun, to be honest. I love a Twitter meltdown (laughs) on a Saturday when you've lost. At least you get to watch people like posting hilarious gifts and falling out with each other. So it's win-win. We either win and we're all happy or we lose and we can laugh at each other. Misery loves company, as they say. Louis, will Tony Mowbray still be Blackburn Rovers manager at the end of the season? Uh, yes. Okay, that's very bold. Yeah. Based on my prediction, yes, he will. 
But I think Melbury needs to get, I think, needs to at least put a challenge in this year, like a serious challenge in this yeah. year. Not, not like a challenge of the last couple of years of it goes really, really well until the new year and then it just falls off a cliff. Like a serious right until the, sort of the last moment challenge for the playoffs at least. Now, I think that, I think this is this is a critical season. There's no doubt about that. I think he, he has been backed in circumstances where I think it would have been easy to rationalise no spending at all. Um, because of COVID and all that sort of good stuff, I think we're in a we're in a far better shape than we were last year, and I think we're in a far better shape than many championship clubs. The three that have come down with the parachute money, I think you just got to write those off. But playoffs, yeah, I think that's got to be a realistic aspiration. Well, we shall see. As we say, we've tempted fate hugely, not just for the season, but especially for tomorrow night. Just just to add to that thing about Melbourne, I've got um, a bit of a theory in that things tend to escalate around Preston away uh, and I'm just looking at the fixture list here and the the second game after the November international break is Preston I'm thinking back to the game where where they lost 4-1 where things were really out of hand the game where they were 2-0 up and lost 3-2 they got really out of hand the game they lost 1-0 Daniel Johnson penalty they'd not won in seven at that point that's when they had that real slump in early 2019 so they tend to be the ones where Preston come around and bad things seem to happen to Blackburn Rovers so just hoping this time around Law of averages um, it's got a flip hasn't it at yeah, some point. yeah I'm hoping at the time I'm writing about Bradley Dack making a glorious return they win at Luton on the back of the international break and we go to Preston actually put that right rather than it being Oh, Mowbray's had 12 or 13 games into yeah. this season. Things aren't working. Uh, I think that could probably be a pivotal point. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm hoping my theory of uh, Preston putting the mockers on everything won't come <laughs> won't come right this time. Yeah, just it just ticked off in my head then when Rich said about Preston in November. After they lost to Preston last year when uh, Galley scored twice and then they chucked it right at the end. That after that match, everybody and I mean everybody basically was saying, I can't see how Mowbray has a future at the club, and then yet here we are a year later, and he's still here. Saying exactly the same thing. (laughs) You know, we've said it four or five times. So when you keep, you know, you're asking about how long will Mowbray stay here, you know, he's probably one of the great Houdinis at the moment because every time they have this six, seven barren run, they just stick with him and he digs it out and turns it around. So fair play to him. So the next game after Preston, that that one was um, Sheffield Wednesday, where obviously Adarabio had his Nando's note and then Buckley scored. And then Walton pulled off the best save I saw him pull off in his old Blackburn Rovers career from a goal that if it had gone in, it was a mile offside and they didn't get flagged. So that that would have been Blackburn Rovers having scored a last, well, 93rd minute goal and still managed to, to draw. I think that, that would have probably been the... That for me was a real turning point in Mowbray, yeah. as was the Barnsley one as well. I think when they beat Barnsley late on, they were yeah, they were, they were two that was the first game back after the international. Yeah, I think I think and I think Mowbray did as well. He that if you talk to Mowbray about the point where he felt the fans had turned, that Barnsley game will yeah. go down as his, his one. I think where he'll always look back on the like Barnsley away for uh, for Owen Coyle, if you remember. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the, um, the you joke about that Barnsley game by the way I was sat with someone at Barnsley at home and someone said like they look rubbish they're just defending terrible 
they're playing Brentford in midweek. They're going to get stuffed, and then they played Brentford three days later and absolutely walloped them off the park. It was like <laughs> I was watching a different team. It was unreal. Fantastic. Listen, guys, I've taken enough of your time. I really, really appreciate it. So uh, going around my Zoom window here. Mike, thanks as always for your contributions. Greatly welcomed. Louis, thanks for your help and contributions. That's terrific. Linz, once again, stalwarts of the pod, as I say. Always always nice to hear. And Rich, once more, uh, a degree of professionalism on the pod is always welcome. And you always provide it. So thank you for that. Uh, notwithstanding your lack of preparation, people, I think you will, you will have secretly done some homework, and I think it's secret. I've been I've been busy today. It's press conference day, so still catching up from last <laughs> Friday, which was just the most mental day. Uh, Absolutely, uh, that wasn't Blackburn Rovers. No, in the nicest um, possible way, though. We didn't have four unexpected departures, which I think is what we. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I do think they did set it up as a bit of a Super Friday. I think the signals on Douglas and Tribal were very yeah. much... I got yeah. a text at quarter past six the day before saying these are happening today and I was like, you could stay a bit later if you wanted and get these uh, get these done. And when I got the text saying one's at 11 and one's at 12, I was like, this is all coming together quite, uh, quite nicely. So, uh, Just a pity we can't yeah, get into the ground, of course, to watch them. Yeah, no, that is, I mean, the hour, you put the team news out and the next hour is just horrendous. It is literally just sat waiting and you're just like watching them warm up. And I think you just, I mean, to be fair, a lot of the time you can't sit inside now and there's no press room that's open. You have to sit outside so you can't even like watch the football that's going on. So that's, it's it's awful. It's, it really is. This should be like there should have been the excitement on Saturday before the game yeah. of everybody coming talking about the signing. Yeah, it's quite. just dead. It, it's um, Twitter, yeah, Twitter has a place and, and all that sort of good stuff, but it's nothing like physically being there and meeting up in the pub beforehand and having those conversations and. Uh, Anyhow, that's a different conversation for a different day. Thanks once again. I really appreciate your help and contributions in putting this together, and um, we'll speak soon. I'm sure. Thanks, everyone. No worries. Cheers, thanks, Ian. All right, Ian. Thanks, Ian. Much appreciated. See you later. So it's my pleasure to welcome back once again uh, Joe Harvey from uh, Rovers Analytics. You can follow him on, is it at Analytics Rovers, Joe? Is that right on Twitter? That's the one, yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about something that I'm, I'm always quite interested in is possession stats. Uh, Tony Mowbray has in the past said that he, he favoured a high possession game. And I've always wondered whether possession is just a correlation with success or whether it causes success. And I'd thrown this question out there and Joe caught it and had run with it. And he's produced a graphic which he circulated on Twitter. So, Joe, tell us. What does possession mean and what does it matter for Rovers? And should we get excited about it? Um, I think possession is an interesting stat. Most people think high possession is good. Um, Some people think loads of possession is really bad. And I think the true answer is that possession is massively variable. It's about what you do with the ball. It's about where that possession is. Is it passive? Are you looking threatening? Are you playing the ball in the final third? So... Possession is a really difficult statistic to measure on its own. Um, so what we've tried to do is um, measure possession against uh, wins, losses and draws. So you can kind of get an idea as to whether there is a correlation or a causation, as you've said. So um, 
what we've done is um, pinpointed um, all of Rover's results since the 22nd of October 2019 mm-hmm. to now, not including the Watford game, um, and kind of put them in a win, draw and loss section. And then along the bottom on the other axis, um, you can see the percentage of possession that we had in the game. Now, firstly, obviously, people can check out that graphic. It's an interesting little look. Uh, but as you said, there's there's kind of no indication in there as to whether that's a, something that's caused or or is a correlation. So are we winning because the possession's lower or higher or is the possession lower or higher because we're winning, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that's really difficult to judge. So, yeah, so what you can see on there really, and we'll start with losses. Um, our average possession over the last year in league games is 53.2% when we are losing games. Um, so we are actually having a lot of the ball seemingly when we lose whether there's a correlation between loss and possession or not we don't know but that's just a fact in front of us mm-hmm. uh, draws uh, 51.1% so slightly less but still a positive uh, possession and then wins is at 50% which still technically positive but lowest of the three result types so um, we can see on there, obviously, we've got some massive outliers. So a really low 31% possession loss against Leeds United, which luckily we don't have to worry about this season because Leeds United have buggered off to the Premier League. <laughs> uh, thank, thank the Lord, because I don't think anybody wants to play a team like that. And then obviously we've got some really high ones as well. So in the wins column, we've got Wickham, Sheffield Wednesday, Hull City over the past calendar year where we've won games by a significant amount of goals and just absolutely dominated the ball. Again, whether it's a case of we're scoring loads of goals and that's why we've got loads of ball or you know we're scoring loads of goals because we've got loads of balls, yeah. it's really hard to say. But that's the gist of the graphic, really, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it did catch my attention, as I say, because it, it is a bit of a bugbear of mine. Because when Mowbray stated he wanted lots of possession... It made out that he got players at his disposal, but you know, like the, the the total football side of, of Holland in 1974, which you're far too young to remember. But players that are interchangeable in lots of positions, and you, you know, you've got the ball and you're teasing the opposition. And all due respect to the squad that we've got, I don't think we're, we're that kind of team. And what this has borne out to me is the differences in the possession percentages between win, drawn, and loss are so small as to be almost negligible and as you say there's loads and loads of outliers um in in each category so it's almost like winning drawing or losing is a function of how much form you're in at the time and who you're playing well who'd have thunk it yeah. and then of course we had wednesday didn't we we had loads of possession we had loads of chances but we lost what 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 do you know about our xg then in those games joe yeah, so XG, for those that don't know, is expected goals, and that's the calculation that everybody disputes. Uh, it basically takes into account the distance from goal, the type of chance that's being created, you know, is it a header, is it a weak foot shot, how far out are we, where's the keeper, how many defenders are back, and it calculates a figure to say how much of an expected goal any given chance may be, uh, and then they all get collated together for a final figure at the end of the game. So uh, against Watford, we had 67% possession, lost the game 3-1, and our expected goals was quite high at 2.63. So frustratingly, we scored well under half the goals we should have done in the game. Um, But we kind of talked a little bit on Twitter about how 
that's potentially because of the types of chances that you're creating. So when you've got 67% possession of the ball, the the indication is that you're having ball in the opposition half, at least somewhat, um, and there's less space in behind. I think we saw against Derby County uh, when we had 36% possession and won the game 4-0, the types of chances that your Ben Brereton's and your Adam Armstrong's and your Joe Rothwell's and your Tyrese Dolan's will put away are where they're running from deep um, and running with the ball at a defence that's tracking back because they've been caught out. Uh, and Watford showed their Premier League class for me. They didn't get caught out, really. Uh, the Brereton goal, I think, had the lowest expected goals figure of any shot in the game. Um, interestingly, Ben Foster on his YouTube channel, which is really cool if you check it out, he claims that it was a big goalkeeping mistake um, and that he should have saved it. Um, <laughs> but I think it was just a great shot. But we'll always dispute that, I think. I think it caught him out, looking at it. I don't, yeah, I don't I think, think he expected so. a shot from that distance. Hmm. And with some justification, given the form that he was in that Bre- night. Brereton either. <laughs> you may say that, I couldn't possibly comment. But it was great to, to see Brereton prepared to take it on. That's what that's what I took from that. I, I found it funny. He can't score from two yards, but he can score from 25. But good for him. Great goal. Well, 30 goals a season from 25 yards, that'll do me. So obviously in the last four games, we've kind of seen a continuation of what the original graphic that we're discussing uh, purports and puts forward. Derby County, which is a win, 36% possession. Cardiff, which was a boring 0-0 draw, we had 59% possession. Then we lost to Forest 1-0, we had 59% possession again. We lost to Watford 3-1, we had 67% possession. So right now this season, the trend is continuing. When teams let us have the ball, uh, we can't break them down. They stick 10 men behind us, mm. they get a man sent off, they've got nine men behind us, uh, and we, we don't know what to do. I think we've definitely benefited from Holtby being back in the side. Uh, and I think that's why you can see the difference. An expected goals ratio of 0.6 against Nottingham Forest. Holtby then returns and we're up to 2.63. I believe there's some causation there and not just correlation. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's up for debate, isn't it? Well, he created the penalty, didn't he? Which I suppose, does a penalty have an XG of pretty close to one, I would have thought? Is it 0.8 for a penalty from memory? Difficult. Everybody decides differently. I think right. the data we use is one. Some some people say differently. Some people don't give it anything at all unless they were taking a shot, depending on where the penalty is in the box. So yeah, think one is the is where we get our data from, but everybody disagrees on it. So right, difficult. So yeah, there's a, there's a, there's only one way you can go if the the xg is one from the penalty spot, I guess, and you're going to miss some. So you're always going to be under, aren't you? You can't you can't score more than one goal with a penalty. Yeah, and I think he was always going to save it, wasn't he? He'd had such a good oh, game, and he, and the yeah. net looked tiny as he was yeah. stepping up to take it. Yeah. I think we all knew, didn't we? Just yeah. It was just it, well, I say it's just one of those nights. It's one of those nights that you see as, as a football supporter. You'll see as a Rover supporter, we will say that we have more than our fair share of them. But yeah. I think that's just confirmation bias because we see more of our games. But let's just chalk it down to experience and hope that um, we get we get something yeah. better against Coventry on Saturday. Joe, thank you very much for that insight. As always, you're very welcome. And I know you you're doing video shows, so you can see lots and lots of graphics with um, Andy Watson on the Rovers Chat YouTube channel. Is that right? Yeah, and we've um, we're live streaming now post match. 
uh, very brave Twitter doing post-match reviews very brave we get live questions that put us on the spot and <laughs> I have to present myself because I'm on video but yes yeah, so check out all the stuff and I really appreciate the platform that's fantastic thanks once again Joe and we'll speak to you again in the future I'm sure thanks for that. closest they did come you know this shot on Saturday I was right behind the Lyle Taylor one that swerved and I actually like jumped up out of my seat a bit because I thought he's palming that straight in because yeah. um, that is one of his traits he is very good at not I'm just going to do this tomorrow but not palming it straight back into the danger area he, he does it mm. uh, does it uh, does knock it away from goal but that, that one did have me uh, did have me jumping a bit The best, the best bit, Ian, you're like this, is we sponsored an event in our work, so I got a little 10-minute spot on Zoom in the middle of a, uh, a conference to speak to everyone and promote our, uh, our products. And literally, when I started speaking, there was about 150 on this thing, uh, and I could just see the people dropping like flies. I think they were thinking, <laughs> like, here's a 10 minutes to slope off and get a cup of tea or something like that. Um, you know, when people just turn like the camera off on the thing and then the sound down, you're like, I know where you've gone. Oh, yeah. The other thing that I've got to be very wary of is reflection in the glasses. So, so if, if I'm there earnestly, like nodding, and then I go to my phone and I've got my phone below the camera, but then the reflection of the screens in your glasses makes it like scrolling through Twitter or whatever. Janssen and you're listening to the BRFCS.
Podcast.